This episode was recorded on the land of the Ngunnawal people. Welcome to Teacher Insights from Catalyst, the podcast that explores the science of learning and its practical implementation in the classrooms of Catholic Education, Canberra Goulburn. I'm your host, Luke Mooney, and in each episode, we'll hear from teachers and leaders who are leading the way in implementing evidence-based teaching practice. We began our science of learning journey in 2020 through a program we call Catalyst, focused on the way we teach, supported by professional learning, coaching, and quality curriculum resources. Throughout the series, we will reflect on our learning through Catalyst. Whether you're a teacher, education leader, or simply interested in how the science of learning is transforming the classroom, this podcast is for you. So, tune in each episode as we explore the captivating world of evidence-based teaching practice. For our very first episode, I speak with Ross Fox, Catholic Education Canberra Goulburn's director, who shares his vision for education within the thousand classrooms throughout the system. Here Ross explained the underpinning research that has guided the teaching and learning approach and why we know it works. Let's dive into our conversation. I hope you enjoy. Hi Ross, welcome to Teach Insights from Catalyst. Thanks Luke, it's a real pleasure to have this conversation. So I just wanted to start off with Ross, why Catalyst? Why did we begin this journey? Well, uh, around almost seven years ago now, I started as Director of Catholic Education in Canberra and Goulburn and I spent a lot of time talking to parents, teachers, principals, parish priests, the archbishop, everyone across the system and across the archdiocese. And there was rightly an incredible amount of pride about the great Catholic education system we have and had, about the legacy of of the great uh, congregations, the Josephites, the Mercies and a number of others in the Catholic schools that they'd created that that we had. But there was a real reservation around whether we were achieving uh, what we hoped for in terms of student results. And my really strong assessment was if we weren't achieving the results, it wasn't for lack of trying, it wasn't for lack of effort uh, of our, our staff and our teachers and our principals and our schools. So it set me probably on a course. I've got a fairly uh, curious nature. Um, of reading everything I could about learning, um, about reading, and trying to understand how that could best translate into the classroom. And really, as we know, in particularly in Canberra, uh, we don't want for much. We're an incredibly advantaged community overall. And so I, I formed the belief based on our teachers, our school leaders, our schools, that we really should aim very high, that we should aim to be, if not the best education system in Australia, certainly um, one of the best and certainly amongst the best in the world. Uh, We're 56 schools, as people know. We're big enough to do interesting things, but we're small enough to be intimate and to know um, everyone on a personal and relational level. And so I saw that in order for us to meet the expectations of our parents and our students, we needed to aim very high. Uh, and as I said, the the return to effort just wasn't there in too many instances that people were putting so much energy in and we weren't seeing 
the outcomes in student results. So it it really caused me to think very deeply, to as read as much as I could, to talk to as many people around Australia as I could about what drove learning, how we could take the first steps, how how we began we could begin to diagnose uh, where we were and where we could get to. And so that was you know many years before we settled on the the name catalyst or started. So that was really the hunger or the um, the disease, if I could call it, uh, that I felt that we weren't achieving what we could and what ultimately our students and families deserved. So who was part of this shaping of this vision along the way? Who did you talk to? And what are these books that you read as well? Yeah, so um, to start with, it was really talking to principals, talking to teachers, hearing what they had to say. Um, Then I really asked a lot of questions uh, from everyone I was talking to about our beliefs to start with about how to teach reading and how students learnt to read and what informed those beliefs. Uh, evidence is a, can be a problematic concept in education. There are many, many types of evidence. Uh, it's not the same as we know uh, as the evidence that informs randomised controlled trials of drug and medical administration and uh, the medical profession. It's a different type of evidence, a different level of evidence. We're dealing with so many factors that can vary in the life of a student, in their school life, in their experience in a classroom. Uh, So it was really talking to a lot of different people, and I'm not sure I could recount all of them, but certainly I started reading um, probably with Dylan William. Uh, I think one of his books is called The Schools We Need and Why We Don't Have Them. That might be E.D. Hirsch's book. Um, but I, So it was really Dylan William was prominent. Um, I got on to E.D. Hirsch, uh, his book, Why Knowledge Matters, um, and uh, many other educational thinkers uh, really looking at what is our theory of learning. And I did come across uh, Sweller, Clark, and Kirshner, uh, why minimally guided instruction isn't effective. I'm, I don't have the title of the paper in my head, but the idea that actually there is a definition of learning, and I there was a number of times where we were gathering with senior leaders, principals, new APs, and perhaps it's unfair of a director of Catholic education to ask, but I put to them, what is our definition of learning? We're committed professional educators and educational leaders. What is our definition of learning? And to be honest, I was frustrated with the lack of clarity uh, and the many per- permutations of that. And I do think there is room for expansive concepts of learning. But I think when it comes to determining pedagogy in a classroom, designing curriculum and carefully selecting assessment, we have to have a very clear definition of learning. And the definition of learning that really appealed to me was that learning is a change in long-term memory because what have you learned that you can't remember that you don't have and the long-term memory implies you've got it automatically uh, at your recall able to apply it to a skill or a process or an experience or an environment or uh, or a context and so uh, there is great appeal in a definition of learning that is a change in long-term memory because I think it makes the pedagogical demands very clear. And we can talk more about that, that 
it's not sufficient enough to expose students to information. They've got to have sufficient time, sufficient exposures, sufficient uh, opportunity to use that information to move it from the short to long-term memory. So it's at their command to deal with further uh, learning in the future and also uh, situations and contexts they might face and the need to apply that knowledge. What we know about learning now is different, isn't it? Catalyst is all about the science of learning and the science of reading as well. Yeah. Oh, well, it's important. I share just a couple of things early on that uh, Catalyst is a name that we gave to really a professional learning experience in the system, a selection of programs. Catalyst isn't a way to teach. Uh, Catalyst is our commitment as Catholic Education in Canberra Goulburn to provide the best professional learning experience we can for our teachers to help them be as effective as possible. And then, as you say, there's been some very important concepts that we do acknowledge and we should acknowledge as professional educators that our understanding of how the brain learns has dramatically changed in recent decades, probably in three or four decades. But the computing power that we're seeing evident in things like artificial intelligence has been present to inform uh, images of brains and therefore understanding how the brain works and therefore how it learns, uh, how students learn. And so it is the case. There's been um, efforts in this area, but some of the cognitive science developments, the probably maturation of cognitive load theory does give us a different starting point, a different emphasis to what we might have had uh, when we studied at university um, when people began their teaching career 10, 20, 30 years ago. We do have a different understanding now, and we're trying to bring that understanding to inform Catalyst and the professional learning that, and the programs, the curriculum, assessment, and pedagogy that we're prioritising in our system through Catalyst. So we all see this down at the classroom level, and what, what have you seen around the archdiocese that teachers are doing now that's inspired you to continue with this Catalyst vision? What I'm seeing, uh, I guess it varies from talking to students when I visit a, a school. And I, I particularly, it comes to mind a number of grade six students I was talking to recently who related the power of the daily review that they experienced and conveying the anxiety that they felt, oh, sometimes it was a bit demanding, sometimes it could get a bit of boring. Uh, repeating things, but then they acknowledged that it was that repetition which allowed them to achieve mastery and to make sure they really understood a concept that they could move it from short-term to long-term memory, that it activated their learning, that it prepared them for new ideas by activating their existing learning. So we've got students, as a result of great teaching and learning, in, in significant part through Catalyst, reflecting that their experience of learning has changed dramatically. It's quite common now to hear via teachers and principals and sometimes directly from parents that parents' perception of their students' learning has significantly changed, that they're surprised by what their students, what their children know. They're surprised by the vocabulary. They're surprised by the pace at which they're progressing in their reading and writing. Um, as a result of a commitment to explicit instruction, to 
that novel idea that if we want a student to know something, the best way to teach it is to tell them what we want them to know and then give them an opportunity to demonstrate that learning, to practice it, to consolidate it. And so I'm hearing great things from students. I'm hearing great things from parents. But the most encouraging thing for me is talking to teachers and have them relate how they see their self-efficacy so enhanced, their effectiveness as a teacher. Because I think whatever um, whatever motivates a teacher, it is absolutely universal that teachers are motivated by the learning of students. And so I, I believe through Catalyst, teachers have seen their energy, uh, their dedication resulting in enhanced student learning. And that is an amazing thing because we're, we're literally seeing lives transformed um, as a result of great teaching and learning in classrooms. And previously, it wasn't for lack of effort, but we're seeing more consistency, more success, more reliability um, through the teaching practices, the curriculum materials, the assessment that were adopted. Uh, and ultimately, that means we can guarantee more likely every day for every student that they're getting the learning experience they deserve. So as a director of all of so many schools, and um, there's lots of teachers in our archdiocese too, about 2,000, I think, how how is it, um, how are we staying connected with these teachers? Yeah, well, the, the best way to stay connected is obviously to visit the classroom, visit the schools, and I really value the conversations and the feedback. Uh, I'm really pleased when teachers write to me and uh, tell me about their experience, um, sometimes offering criticism, sometimes constructive criticism, sometimes congratulations for the initiative that we've seen uh, in their school and they feel really well supported. Uh, in helping students to learn. Um, I also really enjoy uh, the network meetings and the early career teachers network, for example, the religious education coordinators. So I even uh, that direct uh, discussion with principals. So I really value all of those interactions and that feedback. We've got an incredibly complex system, a thousand classrooms roughly uh, across our 56 schools. N not everything's going to work everywhere, um, but there's a set of instructional approaches, curriculum materials, assessments that are going to focus our pedagogy and help students in their learning and ultimately to provide that guarantee to provide great teaching across our system so important. So I really value that feedback in all those forums. Have you seen things in um, the classrooms that like really impress you? What are some of the examples that you might be able to recall yeah, I, uh, I've seen, I, I do remember uh, coming up to Easter, uh, seeing this amazing lesson um, about Palm Sunday and about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, uh, of course, that we commemorate in Palm, on Palm Sunday. Um, and that might sound trite or trivial, but the vocabulary that was being used in that class, and I recall, I believe it was a grade two or grade three, but incredibly ambitious and high expectation curriculum, quite sophisticated concepts. And then uh, the pace with which the, the teacher was moving through the material with the students was very impressive. Because I think at its heart, what we're trying to aspire to is classrooms in a system where there's high, uh, high expectation cognitive opportunities all the time. And I guess the, the question is when we see things like cutting out or colouring in, 
we've got to ask ourselves, is that just busy work or is it an opportunity to consolidate, a cognitive opportunity, consolidate knowledge? So it really pleases me when I say re see really high expectation uh, vocabulary. I see very sophisticated concepts. And I've been really pleased seeing just great sentences being written on whiteboards by students demonstrating what they knew. And certainly, of course, uh, you know, we've, we've always had really high potential students. And what I'm hearing very clearly from the teachers is that the sort of students who are writing these great sentences, these complicated sentences, reflecting their instruction, um, who are now participating in a way um, so enlivened by the learning opportunities aren't just the high potential students. This is taking in, you know, if not the whole class, the majority of the class. And so we're seeing progress on vocabulary. We're seeing progress on writing. We're seeing progress on grammar um, in a way that we haven't seen as consistently before. And that's just really, really exciting. It absolutely is. I see the same thing in class in my school as well. It, it's amazing to see the transformation that's happening. And um, what do you? What sort of advice would you have for teachers in our system um, as we go along this journey? Uh, well, I I think that um, you know we've we've got such amazing artifacts that we've delivered over the last two and a half and three years in terms of our online units. So if you're interested in understanding more about a range of issues, whether it's cognitive load theory, whether it's the science of learning, the science of reading, and look, they're not meant to be a comprehensive picture and account. They're meant to be a launching off point. I, I, prominent in my own learning has absolutely been a number of books, a large number of books that I've dipped into, but also prominent in my own learning has been the incredibly high quality educational podcasts that are now available. Um, whether it's Ollie Lovell's Education Research Reading Room, Greg Ashman's Filling the Pale, um, there's a large number of very high quality uh, education podcasts available from the US and throughout Australia. And I think, and Craig Barton, Mr. Maths, um, was one prominent in my own experience from the UK. And more recently, um, there's an academic out of Canada, Stokey, and I particularly enjoyed her interview of Amanda van der Hayden about the science of maths recently. So there, I think that podcasts have democratised professional learning for teachers um, and they've made high-quality materials so available. Um, so one of my own sort of professional learning approaches in this area is to go to Google and type in a name of someone I'm interested in, say Dan Willingham, and type in Dan Willingham podcast and it brings up every podcast that's available that he's spoken on and then I work my way through them. That's a good tip. <laughs> and so I'd say, look, talk to your colleagues. If you're a teacher and you're interested in finding out more, I just think there's amazing podcasts and the beauty of them, of course, is you can listen in your own time, driving to work, going for a walk, whatever it is that where you've got a little bit of spare uh, cognitive capacity um, at your own time. Uh, I, I listen when I get up in the morning or when I go to bed sometimes when I'm driving in the car, um, visiting schools in New South Wales. So there's, there's great opportunities. So I'd really suggest you value those, but um, there's so much to learn from your colleagues. So, uh, you know, the, the motivation for Catalyst is to enhance as far as possible the professional experience of our teachers and really centre that professional conversation on how we provide the best learning and teaching 
uh, for our students. But podcasts are a great source. There's many good books, uh, but I really would commend the podcast because I think you can get at some of the really key ideas and begin uh, to open up. And just a brief aside that I'm aware that in the US there's been whole systems there, school districts, some states engage in some of what we've looked at in terms of the science of reading. And there's an observation, uh, a mantra that has been adopted by some states and some school districts that by the teachers, which is when I know better, I do better. And in some instances, we haven't known uh, what we should have known or might have known. Um, and when we know that, our practice can change, our practice can align with how brains learn, we can see great results uh, for students. And so we're, we're sort of in that journey when we know better, we do better. Uh, there's lots of barriers to changing practice. They're re it's really hard, but you know, I hope that we've got a system committed to that and we're putting the supports in the right place. Uh, but ultimately my advice is podcasts are great and then colleagues and hearing what others have listened to, what others have done uh, to enhance their own learning, um, which is really supporting that great practice in classrooms. Look, I've read Edie Hirsch's Why Knowledge Matters, one of the best education books I've read myself. And um, I noticed that a lot of Ollie's interviewees um, that he's had, I've had some influence in Catalyst as well along the way. So that might have been some early listens for you. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So look, there is a, a story that uh, there was a day early on where I happened to be driving from a school function at Maruya, St. Mary's Maruya, to a school function at St. Mary's West Wyalong. It's quite a drive. Wow. It's not a commonly worn path, <laughs> uh, but I happen to have a lot of time to listen to uh, podcasts. And at the time I did listen to uh, a, like a number of maybe three or four of Ollie's podcasts, including uh, Dr. Lorraine Hammond about instructional coaching. And I found that really interesting. And we've since formed quite a close partnership and collaboration with Dr. Lorraine Hammond and her colleagues. Uh, drawing on explicit instruction, commitments to um, the science of reading. So, yes, Ollie's podcast has been quite influential in introducing, I think, getting a introduction to some of the ideas and some of the figures in Australia and internationally who are leaders in this space of a commitment to the science of learning and the science of reading and its application in classrooms. So we've been focused on influencing a high the high impact teaching practice founded on the science of learning for over three years now. How do you see this evolving over the coming years? Yeah, well, there's probably uh, two main elements that, first of all, change is hard. Um, so, you know, change is hard one. There's a lot of habits that uh, in many instances we need to let go of. Um, we don't, not everything we've been doing has been valuable and so we need to be very discerning in letting go of some things in order to create that space for the teaching approaches, the curriculum assessment pedagogy in line with the science of learning and the science of reading. Uh, so really, though, we hope that in the very near future, we'll certainly increase the opportunities available for staff in our own system to be offering the sort of coaching that we're currently using external providers and partners for. Um, Coaching is a really difficult thing, though. Um, there's all sorts of sociological and psychological realities. Um, there's some evidence that suggests, and certainly a logic to it, that coaching uh, should be divorced from a positional 
sort of hierarchy. You know, that's quite important that coaching is given in a way in a context where um, it can be well received and it's not about a line manager as such. So we've got some thinking to do about how to best achieve the value of coaching, but certainly a recognition that, you know, we've got, we've been told by all the coaching partners we're working with that we've got uh, teachers who are as good as they've ever seen um, across all their work. So we're absolutely reaching a point where we've got a cohort of people in our system with enough time under their um, belt, so to speak, um, teaching in our classrooms consistent with our approach. And so they're ready to share that. Uh, You know, we don't want to have people who um, don't have a full understanding, don't have that expertise propagating um, their their practice. We want that best practice uh, that that really precise practice, that really effective practice being propagated. So we're reaching that point. So we'll need to think carefully about how we give those opportunities to our own staff and how we share that achievement because we want every classroom um, really striving to that. And it's not about working harder. It's not about working longer. It's about that clarity about what is good, what is high-impact teaching practice and what's not, what we can let go of, but what we need to emphasise so that's that's the reality is we want to use our own people more. Then um, I would also say the other important thing is that we aren't going to be able to just stop. Um, we have something between 5 and 10% of our staff change their roles every year. That's natural for a, a system and a, um, a schooling system of our size. So the, we'll at least need to be training something like 5 to 10% of our staff at any time into the systems position on teaching, learning and assessment, pedagogy, curriculum and assessment really. So we can't stop um, and just rest on our laurels, that we have to be focused as a system on how we support each other. And one of the things that I've been incredibly impressed by um, in the system, I think through Catalyst, is the level of collaboration and dialogue between schools, between uh, staff across schools, I think is as high as it's ever been um, from the conversations I have with teachers and principals. And that's something I'm incredibly excited about because our individual schools are wonderful places. But if we can harness the power of the system, the expertise, have teachers genuinely collaborating across schools on the right things, we we can't imagine, I think, the power of that and the gr- the depth of professional network that that gives to individual teachers and schools. And so we've got to work out how to support that further and um, focusing on ensuring that the those coming into our system are getting a similar type of training, similar induction, understanding the science of learning, the science of reading, it's important to our practice. That's going to be key. And then hopefully sharing in high-quality curriculum and instructional resources, uh, using a, a efficient set of assessments that tell us the most important things about what students have learned. Uh, so all of those things will be important to ensuring that high-quality practice and our bold goals ultimately are achieved um, despite the current model of how we're pursuing Catalyst maybe diminishing or being de-emphasised in favour of using um, our own staff, our own teachers, our own school leaders more and more. There sure is a lot to do into the future. And I do know that schools are busy as well. And it's tricky. One of the tricky things is the getting the time and to make all this happen, isn't it, as well? 
Yeah, and that's so we've we've been at the um, the cutting edge in a number of ways. We've made significant commitments to additional release time to all staff across the system in recent years. Uh, we're going to be making more commitments in that way. Uh, and it's there's two sides to that, of course, that uh, we want teachers to be the best prepared possible when they're delivering their lessons, but we also want time uh, for the best professional learning to occur. Uh, and so there's been additional release days particularly in the ACT in recent times, but a system-wide commitment to more release time each week. Uh, so we need to treat that seriously to support teachers and professionals to provide the best learning and teaching experience. So the time is a, a, an absolute factor that we need high-quality collaboration time. Uh, we're really pleased by things like the online units that have been um, able to be digested, dissected, discerned, discussed as part of a regular staff meeting. Uh, you know, we need as much as possible all of our activity to be directed to realising our, our aspiration for high-quality learning and teaching. So throughout this series of podcast, this podcast series, listeners are going to hear stories and experiences from teachers right across our system and how they transform their practice. What are you most excited to hear as we travel down this road together with our listeners? Oh, there's two things that come to mind, I guess, Luke. The first is... I hear at a personal level in my own conversations almost conversion stories uh, and talking about previous beliefs and now through not the brand of catalysts, not the system saying you must do this, but exploring the underlying evidence, the underlying logic, the underlying understanding of the science of learning, science reading, and then obviously the application of that in the classroom and saying, I now understand this makes a lot of sense. There's a role for inquiry and it's very much after the students have got the knowledge, the students are able to apply it, they've been given that opportunity to practice and now they, they can inquire. They can be effective inquirers, they can be creative inquirers, but always after that, that knowledge and knowledge in a sufficient exposure so that the students are approaching mastery on that particular um, idea or knowledge. So... I, I've heard those conversion stories myself and I'm interested to see if some of those come out. Um, and then I'll just be, you know, excited for uh, teachers, our school leaders to be sharing their experience and then all of us reflecting on what can we learn from that um, in how we're approaching Catalyst, how we're approaching the core task of improving teaching and learning in our thousand classrooms in the system. Ross, it's been really interesting to hear this this journey and where we've been and where we're going right today. And we really thank you for your time that you've um, spent with us. Is there any other things that we you think we haven't covered at this point about that you wanted to share with our listeners about Catalyst? Um, well, there's many, there's many aspects to Catalyst, uh, our, our commitment to the science of reading, our early literacy programs. So, so there's much to say there. There's probably a lot to say about Rose and Shine's principles of instruction, there's a lot to say about check for understanding, explicit instruction. There's so much that we could talk about in terms of pedagogy. I probably I'd like to finish on the note to say that um, we've all got an obligation, really a deep moral obligation as professional educators and educational leaders. We need to use the instructional time as preciously as possible to be desperately efficient in that instructional time because the students won't get the time back. 
and they need to learn as much as they can in the time available. And everything we do should be very cognizant of that. Of course, relationships are important. Of course, pastoral care is important. Of course, community building is important. But if we haven't given our students the opportunity to learn deeply through efficient instruction, they'll really miss out on potential opportunities in the future to think things they haven't been able to think before. And that's the measure of a great Catholic education in part amongst a number of other things. But I I am a believer, I've said it before, uh, we have amazing teachers and school leaders. We've got amazing potential as a system. I'm convinced that we've got exactly uh, the staff and leaders we need to be amongst the best education systems in Australia and ultimately the world. We're not doing that because we want a medal. We're doing it because it's the moral imperative uh, of professional educators dedicated to student learning. So I, I think we've got exactly the right people we need to be that system. We're well on the way. We're not there yet. Um, we're, we do need to be realistic that the thing, the most important thing to see change is the answer to a question asked by a teacher to a student, have you learned what I just taught? That is the most important and profound thing to get right. NAPLAN results will follow. HSC results will follow. If we're confident that the student can tell us that they've learned what I've just taught, and of course you can ask that question in amazing and creative ways. It's not as moribund and as uh, simple as I've just outlined, but if, if we're asking students that question regularly, if they're answering yes to I've just learned what you've just taught, that's consistent with that definition of a teacher that if you've taught and the student hasn't learned, there's a question as to whether you've taught at all. And that's the teaching and learning that we need in the system. So I'm convinced we've got exactly the right people to achieve our aspiration to be a great education system. And it's not for external recognition. It's because our students and our families deserve no less. So I'm incredibly proud uh, of the system we're in, of the potential we've got to see continued um, high achievement. Uh, and we're making great progress. I'd like it to be faster, but uh, I'm impatient. That's sort of my job, um, but there's great work going on. So I just want to finish by commending all of our teachers, all of our staff, all of our principals for their great work um, and their continued commitment and look forward to getting feedback through this podcast and hearing from our teachers about how we can continue to refine and improve Catalyst and for that matter, our system to be that system we want to be. Thanks so much, Ross. Great. Thank you, Luke. Thanks for joining us on Teacher Insights. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite platform so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in learning more about Catalyst, check out the website catalyst.cg.catholic.edu.au. Until next time, keep learning.